matters because how, uh, what we believe, what's true, the truth, uh, dictates how we live. Theology matters because what we believe dictates how we live. And we subtitled it, Big Words That Make a Big Difference. And um, we, we've been talking about these big, I, these big sort of theological terms and how, in fact, that makes a difference in our lives. And we gave you a little uh, outline every week in your messenger, or I put mine down, that, that it says, big word, here's the big word, here's the big difference. And our hope for you and our promise to you was that you'd have a way to not only, A, understand these big words, but B, to go, all right, well, then how does that make an impact in my lives? And hopefully... Um, you've learned some stuff, and you've got three more weeks to learn some junk, and then, then we're done. When's Easter? So, but we're almost toward the end of this, uh, of this series. Theology matters. Big words that make a big difference. I got a sweet big word. It's sanctification this time. Is that not an awesome word? And then I looked at it for a while. I go, that doesn't even look like it's spelled right. It's such a big word. I mean, is that right? It looks right. Sanctification. And he, you know, I got a whole sermon plan, but I was, I was struggling to try to figure out how to best define it and figure out how to explain it to you and all that kind of stuff. Here's what I landed on. Here's what I Here's what I landed on. The best word that could come to mind for me was awkward teenager, okay? That's the way, that was the best way. So that's Ben. He's one of our pastors. Just, just leave it up there because... The frightening thing is there's very little change that has happened. <laughs> I know very little about the art of public speaking, but I do know you will never forget this. Am I right? Here's why I have this up here. Because sanctification is about the in-between time when we're born and we're sweet and new and fresh and a baby. And when we've come to full maturity, there's an in-between time, those awkward teen years. And sanctification is our spiritual awkward teen time. Where there's, it's between birth and maturity. That's us in the Lord, ladies and gentlemen. That's sanctification. And that's probably all we need to do. <laughs> We're probably done. We can go home now. Here's a scripture for this morning, as much as we want to keep looking at that. 1 Thessalonians 5. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the one who calls you is faithful. Say this last phrase with me. And he will do it. May God himself sanctify you all the way through. And may everything, your soul and your body and your spirit, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And God's faithful, say it again, he will do it. This is sanctification. It is the growing, the changing, the meeting of God in the middle of our journey from birth when we, between where we start our walk with God and to the place of final maturity, we end up in this, or we don't end up, we find ourselves in the awkward teen years called sanctification. Here's a shot at uh, some sort of a definition. It is the work of God in our process of becoming more Christ-like. It is the work of God in our process of becoming more Christ-like between birth and maturity. 
This is what sanctification is. This is the big word, sanctification, the work of becoming more Christ-like. Now, it's a process I need you to notice, and that's also what maturing is about. It's also about becoming Christ-like, and we're going to talk about Christ-likeness more in a moment with another scripture. But I want you to know that we are becoming, this, this becoming more Christ, this, this is the goal of this journey be- between starting our walk with God and coming to full maturity. The goal of it is that we're becoming more like Jesus. Did you know that? We're becoming more Christ-like. A verse I'm going to show you in a little bit in 2 Corinthians 3 says that we are transformed into his likeness. There's a change where we actually become more like Christ. Become more into his image. Now what does that remind you of? That we've been made in the image of God, right? Does it remind you of Genesis? God said, in Genesis 1, God says, let us make man and woman in our image. And male and female, he made them in the image of God. We've been made in, our, in his image. We've been made to be like God. But sin came in the picture, marred that image, and now Jesus has come, and after our new birth, toward maturity, says, I will remake you in my image. You see it? We're being made to be like Christ. That's our goal. That's what sanctification is. The work of becoming Uh, The work of God in our process of becoming more like Christ. It's like becoming more Adam and Eve again in the image of God. Now we could have said more Christ-like or we could have said more holy. I'm trying to still define this big term for you. It's this process of becoming more holy. But I didn't start with holy because holy for us kind of have some negative connotations. Holier than thou, sort of being this puritanical thing. It's can, can conjure up ideas of, of moralism or, or self-righteousness or um, basically, you know, nerds or whatever. I mean, we could have all kinds of images in our head about holiness, and that's awful because holiness is a great word. Sanctify and holy, that's all part of the same original etymology. This, this becoming more of what God wants us to be is, is a, a journey of holiness. And, and do you know in the scriptures where in it, when it calls us saints, you know, like Paul wrote to the saints in Ephesus, and that word saints is the same root word. It means holy ones, to the holy ones in Ephesus. People who are believers in Christ are called holy ones biblically. We're sanctified ones. We're being sanctified on this journey with God. So we could say this is the work of God in our process of becoming more holy. And we've got to define more holy, friends. We've got to know what that looks like. And it's two things scripturally. Being holy, this Christ-likeness that's holy, it's two things in scripture, two sides of one coin. First, it's that it's more sinless. I try to go positive. It's more sinless. It's less sin. Being holy, of course, we know is having less sin in our lives. That's what our original text here in 1 Thessalonians 5 says to us. It says, go back to that, may God himself sanctify you through and through. Now look at, look at that. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept what? Blameless. This is about being sinless. This is about having less sin in our lives. That we're living for the Lord. And this idea of holiness is first about this idea of being less sinful. Having less junk in our lives. Having less sin marring up the image of God. This is, you know, when, when the word holy is applied to God, that's what it means. He's the holy one of Israel. He is the sinless one. He is the beautiful one. He's exalted above. He's different than earthly and profane and marred and sinful. He's holy. And part of our journey, sanctification, is to be more uh, sinless, to be less sinful. 
Uh, now, I have to stop and ask you, you know, why would we even bother with that? I mean, some of you go, okay, I guess that's true. I don't, I don't know why. I, do I really want to do that? I mean, it just sounds like maybe it's a, it's a lot of work, and what am I trying to accomplish here? Well, we're on this process of sanctification, friends, not just so we get sanctified. We're on this process of becoming more holy, of becoming more Christ-like, because it pleases God who made us. We do it because it pleases God who made us. It's the right way to live. And it's a dreadful thing to live lives that dishonor the beautiful, all-powerful, loving creator of heaven and earth. It's just right to be in this process of becoming more like Jesus. It's right. We do it to honor God. We also do it, number two, to, 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 to serve God. Because God has said, and part of, and in a minute we're going to talk about this more, God has said, you're my holy ones, you're my set-apart ones, you're my sanctified ones, to live for God. We're God's hands and feet on the earth. And if we've marred up our lives with more sin, not less sin, we'd become ineffective servants, witnesses, testimonies, fragrances of God. So we become more holy so that we can serve him. We do it to please him because it's right. We do it to serve him because we can't serve him when our lives are all mucked up. And thirdly, we do it because it will go well with us on the earth. That's one of the phrases after one of the Ten Commandments. I think it's honor your father and mother. So it may go well with you in the land. You know, that's just not about that, that commandment. That's a reality that Jesus said, I came and gave you life and life at its fullest. And what he says is, if you live with me and according to my ways and get on this process of sanctification between new birth and full maturity, you get on the process of becoming more holy, you will find life as it was designed to be. This is why, friends, sometimes our lives sort of spiral out of control because we make one messed up decision after another and we get further and further and further away from what life was designed to be in the holy and righteousness of God and we find ourselves going, life isn't even worth living over here. It's because, that's, and, and we find despair in there. That's exactly right. That's what happens when we live more sinful, not less sinful. So we, we become less sinful to please God, to serve God, and to live life abundantly the way that we were made to live. It's life at its fullest. Now, I said there were two things, more sinless, but there's also more set apart. This is the definition of holy. It's not just sinless, but it's also set apart. What does that mean? It's set apart for special or divine use. This is the, what the word holy also means in the scriptures. It's not just set apart like you're different because you're holy and this stuff isn't holy. It's set apart because God goes, look it, here's what I want to do. I want to take this tool and I want to set it apart over here for my special use. And that's us, friends. We're the holy ones. We're the, the word holy means actually set apart or consecrated. Set it aside. You could almost use those words. God says, I want you and I'm going to set you aside, not only to be sinless, but to be set apart for my special purposes. That's what sanctification is. So this journey of being born and this journey of, uh, uh, on the way to, to, to maturity is this process of God going, come away from sin and let me set you aside for me to use you for my special purposes. Come on, that's what life's about. We're God's people. And this was last week's message if you didn't get a chance to hear it. We're the priests of God to go do what priests do. 
God goes, I got special things for you to do. Set apart for divine purposes. You can see that in this text in John 17. Sanctify them. I'm sorry, it's a typo. That's not may. Uh, is Jesus praying for his believers. And it starts with sanctify. Sanctify them by the truth, he says. He's talking about his disciples. God, sanctify them. Read, set apart. Set them apart, God, by your truth. And your word is truth. Set them apart by your truth. Their truth does. The truth of Jesus does set us apart for special purposes. We become people who live with gold, people who live understanding who God is, people who live with a calling on our lives. We're set apart in his truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. You see the special purposes part? Jesus goes, and then he says it, for, I, for them I sanctify myself. I have set myself aside for a special purpose for God. This is talking about going to the cross for us. And so that they too may then be truly set aside for divine purpose. Because of Jesus' death, we become not only sinless, we become set apart for God's special purposes in our lives. So, Christ, this, this sanctification is our, um, our process, God's work on our process of becoming more Christ-like, more holy, less sin, more set apart for God. So this is the journey that God has got us on. Now, I want you to see more about that about sanctification. I'm still trying to define this big word for you as it fits into the whole journey of life with God. Because sanctification is part of three stages in what, it, what it's all about. And I've referred to it already, and we can kind of go pretty quick through this. Part of three stages of the work of God. First, um, uh, justification happens. That's a good word. And I don't know that we're preaching on that word exactly like that. But uh, Ben will refer to some of that stuff next week when he uh, talks about Jesus. Justification is the first step. That's the new birth step, friends. Um, this is the work of God to forgive our sins and restore us into a relationship with him. Justification is the first thing that happens in these three stages of the work of God in, in our lives. Justification is the beginning. This is the, 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 the us getting saved. This is us getting forgiven. This is us getting redeemed. This is us getting restored to relationship with God. This is us getting born again. This is us getting to have a relationship with God. That's justification. It's all over the scriptures. Look at, verse, uh, look at Romans 3 here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to, received by faith, to be re received by faith. Justification is the work of God to restore us to a relationship with him. It's God's work that does that. God does it through Jesus. He comes and rescues us. We can't do it on our own. He comes and starts it. That's new birth. That's justification. And we know it's a work of God. We know we can't save ourselves. In fact, the fam one of the famous verses, if you're a Sunday school kid growing up, you may have memorized it in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. And then the next phrase says, for we are God's workmanship. 
It's God's work of saving us. He reaches down, he woos us, and when we turn to him, he saves us through the redemption that came through Christ, the sacrifice on the cross. That's salvation. That's justification. So that's this first stage, but that's just birth. That's just the beginning. Then sanctification is that second phrase, that second that second stage in the process, this is the work of God. This is our point this morning. This is the work of God in our process of then becoming more like Christ. On the way to this third stage, and I just wanted to put it all in context for you, this third stage is glorification. So have you heard these words? Justification, sanctification, glorification. Glorification is the end. It's the work of God to transform us with Christ from what we are now to what we will be in eternity. Man, there's whole churches that just spend all their time worshiping and thinking about glory. I mean, this is about, that's what glory is. I got my ticket on the train bound for glory. And that is what it means. It's heaven. It's the end. It's the consummation of the kingdom. It's the coming of the fullness of the kingdom of God where our salvation is completely realized. It's heaven. It's eternal life. This is glory. That's at the end, friends. So we got new birth at the beginning. God's work to save us. We got glory at the end where God transforms us to be like Christ. And we got the awkward teen years in the middle and that's where we are. That's nice. Uh, I got a verse here. Go to the glory, Philippians 3 verse. Um, Our citizenship is in heaven. This is about glory. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables... Do you just let Scripture wash over you and you don't, you don't pay attention? It's so hard. Look at this. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is where we belong. This is the place where we live. This is, where our, this is where we're from. This is where our roots are. This is where our parents came from. I mean, you know, our spirit, this God, our Father, lives there. This is our home, is in heaven. And we wait for our Savior from heaven because we're bound for glory. Come on. We're bound for glory. And we wait for a Savior from there, Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, it's, we wait for Jesus who is the Lord. That's what it's saying. And he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. 1 John 3 says, What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when we see him, we will be like him. That's what glory is going to be like. We will be fully transformed into being like Christ. So this is where sanctification falls. It falls in the middle of these three things. Justification, new birth, glory at the end, the awkward teen years in the middle. Now, so this is where we are. Let's go back to the definition. Sanctification is the work of God in our process of becoming more Christ-like. So this is where we go. So once justified, we're saved. Okay? Once we're justified, this is what's happened. Once we're justified, we're saved. Right on. You're in. You get hit by a bus, you're in. I mean, this is the deal. Jesus' work covered your sin. Okay? And the Holy Spirit now indwells you. That's what happens at salvation. You've been given, when you say yes to the gift of Jesus, the forgiveness of his sin by his death on the cross, when you say yes to that, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit indwells you. So you're saved. Holy Spirit indwells you, but sin is still present, right? And amen for that. Anybody know sin is still present? Sin is still present. So sanctification is, so we work it out. We work it out. We and God work it out. And this is what we're going to be about then. We're going to start working it out. 
Okay, we're saved. We've been given the Holy Spirit, but sin's still around. Now we've got to work it out. And I put we slash God working it out because biblically, that's what it is. We and God both together work it out. That's what we do in sanctification. Let me turn the corner. You've kind of defined sanctification. Now I want to turn the corner a little bit and go, hey, what do we do with it? I'm not a big, big difference yet. I'm just still trying to define it for you. So what does that mean that we and God work it out? Well, it's kind of rooted in these kinds of teachings. Philippians chapter 2. Look at this text. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, Paul's writing to the church in Philippi, not only my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to, what does it say? Work out your salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. It's God who works in you. We work it out, but God's the one who works. There's this us and God thing going on. Does that not make sense to you? It's always an us and God thing. It's not salvation by works. The scriptures tell us it can't be by works. It's the gift of God. It's the free gift. So nobody can boast. It's all God's work. Justification is the work of God to redeem us. Sanctification is the work of God to transform us. Glorification is the work of God to bring us to eternity in heaven. It's all God's work. But he says, now you work it out with fear and trembling. Friends, there's two sides to this coin. We both are involved. God works. It's God's strength. It's God's power. But we, as one the old theological writer wrote, we rigorously participate. Come on, I like that old time preaching right there. Are you rigorously participating in the work of God in your life? We materially participate. We vigorously participate. It's God's work, but we come along and we work it out with fear and trembling. We live out what God wants to do. We make choices according to what God wants to do. We submit ourselves according to God, what God wants to do. We always are participating in this stuff with God, this work of God. It's not unspiritual to admit that. We participate in it, friends. We want to see change. We want to find answers. We, we, get, we get involved, don't we? I mean, why would you go to Alpha class? Why would you go to the Alpha course? You go to the Alpha course because you say, man, those are some great questions, and I don't know that I understand all the answers. And I got these doubts inside, and I got this struggle about it, and I don't really know how to believe or what to believe about all this stuff. Well, you know what? If you sat on your couch every Wednesday, you will then live and die with those questions, right? I mean, it's like almost, I, could, I could think of a thousand examples right now, but if we vigorously participate in what God wants to do, we show up at the class. We dialogue with the stuff. We start processing the logic. We start seeing that there are reasons for people smarter than me to believe in Jesus. Oh, okay. I start awakening to how people get this. And God can do his work. I mean, almost every part of our worship gathering, you could say that. You rigorously participate in worship. If you come and sit there and go, really? Another song? I don't like music. You know, for, we would give you CPR, but if that was the case, you know, uh, or I don't like that song or whatever, you rigorously participate in that experience. You know what it's like when God has a breakthrough with you in worship and it's not always just God and it's not, never, you're not involved. I mean, uh, too many negatives. You know what I mean? You're always involved in that because you're paying attention. You're singing the song. You're saying something inside like, Lord, make that true of me. Come on, God. You're participating in the work of God. We pass the plate. You think to yourself, dude, I need, at this rate, I'm going to retire when I'm 111 and I'll have 200 bucks a month to do it, right? I mean, and you freak out about finances. You go, this giving to God thing sounds good spiritually, 
scripturally. I know Jesus is all about it. There's no way I can be giving. There's no way I can be a tither. You know what? If that's how we didn't just stop, then we will never move forward in our walk with God and our trust in him with finances, all that. So what do we do? We We materially participate with God. We start to take steps of sacrifice and of watching God come through for us. We, be, we begin to take risks. We begin to step out in obedience when we don't know if on the other side there's going to be a solid enough landing. This is what we do. Some of us pledged for three years this building campaign, man. We're in it for the long haul. I mean, this is, we always partner with the work of God. He goes, you work it out with fear and trembling and God will be the one who works in you. Okay? How does he do that? He does it by the Holy Spirit. This is the verse I was talking about in 2 Corinthians 3. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate or reflect, another translation says, the glory of God. And that's a great phrase, but don't let, it, don't let you miss the rest of the verse. So let's, let's skip that phrase as it relates to some of the other teaching in the passage. But, and we all are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the agent that does this work in our lives. It's a Holy Spirit transformation. How does that sanctification happen? How does that holiness happen along the way? How does the less sin, the more set apart to serve God happen? It is the work, the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. That's what it is. That's how the whole thing functions. And I want you to notice something. It's real change with a real presence of God. The beginning of our teaching, the beginning, the first uh, verse that I showed you, and I know there's a lot of Bible, but I wanted it up on the screen. Why don't you see it? It's all in here, guys. I'm not making it up. The first uh, passage, 1 Thessalonians 5, said, May God himself, the real presence of God, may God himself sanctify you through and through, all the way through, deep change, real change, transformation change by the Holy Spirit. May God himself do it. It's real presence of God making real change in our lives. And I got to say that because we tend to think that maybe this is just sort of a change of clothes. This is just sort of an outside, I got to act better. I got to clean up my act. I got to, oops, sorry, pastor, I swore in front of you. You know, that kind of junk. We think it's just sort of, that's more holy. No, friends, holy sanctification is real change by the real presence of God by his Holy Spirit in your life. Real change. The word transformation in the, is metamorphosis. It's a... Somebody help me. Another language. I don't know. <laughs> it's from one thing to the next. That's what metamorphosis is. I used this illustration years ago when Beth Batchelder uh, walked her first half marathon. And I remember saying, and we were talking about it, I remember saying, you know, Beth, at the time, she didn't... She didn't dress like an athlete and buy new clothes and new tennies, although they're very cute, her little tennies. She didn't just sign up for a race like an athlete. She didn't just show up on that day like an athlete. She trained, and her body went through physiological changes over all the miles she walked. Her VO2 max went up. Her blood pressure went down. Her uh, lactic acid threshold changed. She went through all these physical changes so that she could get out there and walk a marathon. Did I say half? She walked a marathon. It was 26 miles. She could go out there and do it. Now, the difference is, friends, there are some athletes who look like athletes and who dress like athletes. There's two kinds of people who run marathons. Some of them get the look, they decide that sounds like a really good plan. And uh, so they start training and their body goes through changes so that they actually become athletes. 
There are other people who go out there and go, they sign up for it and go, dude, that'd be awesome to have run a marathon. And then a week before, they go run a couple of times, and then they get out there on race day, and they run five miles, collapse, walk the rest of the way and tell everybody, I did it, okay? That is not an athlete. That is somebody who looked a little bit like the part and who faked their way through it to the end and is never going to do it again. Fundamental change is what sanctification is all about. Transformation by the real change, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't look like athletes, friend, friends. We've changed, and we can run the race. That's what this is about. God does the work. We participate, and change happens by the Holy Spirit. All right. So the big word, sanctification. Again, the definition of it is, this is the work of God in our process of becoming more holy, more Christ-like, less sinful, more set apart for the things of God. This is the journey that's between birth and full maturity. Here's the big difference. If this is true, that this is the work of God and we work it out with him, number one, we got to get to work. And I know this isn't, this isn't in our sweet evangelical churches where we get grace and we know grace and we receive. We just welcome you no matter what state you're in and we have grace for each other and we love each other. I know this isn't, this isn't easy to hear on our, especially our, our postmodern ears, but friends, some of us got to get to work because the same Paul who said, it's by grace you've been saved, man. It's a free gift of God. You, you, come, you, can't, you can't get so far away from God that he doesn't love you and embrace you and his grace can't extend. Like We get all that. We preach that all day, every day, right? Amen. It's the same Paul who then said in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, after saying all these other things nearby it, he said, friends, since we have these promises, since we have these promises, you may, well, I don't want to mess it up. Let me, let me read it. Since we have these promises, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. And that's a tough preaching. And i got to say, look at it. The big difference is if this is the work of God in our lives and we vigorously participate with him, some of us got to get to work. When was the last time that we purified ourselves from something that was contaminating body and spirit out of perfecting holiness, out of reverence for God? We said, that thing I've been a part of, I'm done with it. It's in my way. I'm admitting it. I'm out of here. When was the last time we sacrificed something and died to ourselves so that we could participate in vigorously in the work of God in our lives? Some of us got to get to work. And early on in our journey spiritually, it was super sweet and we were all excited about doing it. And we would run into God's presence and we would run away from sin, some of us. And we didn't have the maturity, all of us, to sustain it. But early on, it was like, dude, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not looking at that anymore. I'm not talking like that anymore. I'm not acting like that anymore. Early on, we did all that stuff, but we couldn't sustain it. When was the last time, friends, some of us just said, hey, that thing, I'm done with it. I'm doing some work. I'm getting that attitude out of my life and here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to start treating that person this way. Alcohol is a freedom for me, but it's a problem. I'm done. I'm sacrificing it because I cannot take the chance that I am, that I am impure in my body or my spirit. I am perfect holiness out of reverence for Christ. I'm not looking at this stuff anymore. When was the last time that we got to business with God? for the sake of perfecting holiness out of reverence for God 
And it's a high calling, friends. That's who we are as people. We get to work. Second thing, if this is a work of God by His Spirit, then we got to get in the way of the Spirit. And it's just a, some version of this first point. we got to get in the way of the Spirit. If it's the Spirit who transforms us, then we got to figure out where the Spirit shows up and we got to get in that flow. And I did this in my How to Walk with God seminar at the uh, MCCU. I did this in, in five sermons a year since I've been here with you. Th- this idea, we get in the way, we, where does Jesus show up by His Spirit? Let's get there. And then he has an opportunity to do his work in us. Where are those places? Okay, again, we could, we could have all kinds of, uh, uh, of ways of preaching this, but it's always the same answer. Here's how we get in the way of the Spirit. We do the spiritual disciplines. We get alone with God and we pray and we worship and we get in God's word. We sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. We become worshipers. These, these, these spiritual dis- we have quiet times where we stop and say, God, I'm your man. What do you want from me? What do you need from me? What do you got to change in me? Speak to me in your word this morning in the dark. When my family's still asleep and I'm on my way to go to my, I'm your man. What do you want to do in me? We get in the way of the Spirit. The Spirit shows up in, in the disciplines. The Spirit shows up in community too. The scriptures tell us body of Christ has full of gifts and other people's gifts build you up toward maturity. So if you're not in a smaller group, you need to be because people's gifts encourage you toward holiness. That's where the Spirit shows up. And the Spirit shows up when we get out and become the hands and feet of Jesus. He says, my, you'll receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you and then you're going to be my witnesses. Wherever we step out for God, he shows up with leading and power and discernment and words and strength. God's spirit is out there ministering to people in compassion and love and truth. So I've preached that sermon a million times. We've got to get in the way of the spirit wherever that is. Spiritual disciplines, community, service. Wherever Jesus is showing up, you've got to get there. That's part of getting to work. Because then we're able to be in the place where God works on us. And last, we got to get on our knees. Because in the end, if it's true that this is the work of God, that we cannot change ourselves, we cannot transform ourselves, we can get to work and cut some stuff out. We can get to work and get in line and get wherever the Spirit's showing up. We can manipulate some of our situations so that we can maximize the opportunity for God to get at us but we cannot fundamentally change ourselves. And some of us are at the end of ourselves and we cannot get past our brokenness, our sinful habits, our dysfunction, our need for God to show up and we, can't, we haven't seen it happen. And so we get on our knees. And we beg God to transform us by His create the world, raise people from the dead kind of power. God, come through and change me kind of prayer. And some of us have long ago felt that didn't work and we're kind of past that and we've cleaned up our lives a little bit and we coast through this journey between birth and glory without any more change ever happening. Some of us got to get on our knees and say, no, God forbid, keep doing your work in me. I'm going to ask the band to come up I'm going to lead us in just a, a moment of response afterward in the last few minutes of our time together.
Sanctification. It's our awkward teenage years between birth and maturity. We're all in it. And it's absolutely dependent upon the work of God in our lives. And I want us to respond to the Lord in song. Why don't you stand with me right now for this last song? Friends, if this is the work of God and we partner with it, you may have two senses of the Lord working in you this morning. And I want to ask you that maybe you need to respond to him. Some of you need to get to work. And when I preach that, you go, that's me. coasting through, but there's some things that I got to get taken care of. And I've let them just live in my life and I haven't cared about changing and I haven't been honoring God. One of our dear brothers this morning just wept in my arms after worship this first hour and just said, I've fallen away from him. I'm not rigorously involved. God wants to change me. If that's you, if you're saying to yourself this morning, I got some work to do, then I want you to come forward during this song and I want you to stand. And you're standing here as you sing and worship with the congregation, but you're standing here will be a sign between you and God, ready to do some work, perfecting holiness out of reverence for my God. I got some work to do. Some of you may have resonated with the other part, which is that we get on our knees. Because you need the Lord to come through for you. And if you've been in my office, you may have had some version of this conversation with me where I've looked at you and listened to you and talked with you, maybe about your marriage, maybe about your heart for your spouse. And I've looked at you and said, I don't know how to fix you guys. I don't know what to do. But have you, every night for 90 days, gotten on the side of your bed, on your knees, with your spouse, and begged God to show up for you. Do your work, God. We are at the end of ourselves, and there is no hope unless you come through. And we will not let go of your lapels. Some of you need to come and get on your knees and beg God for the transformation that you long for. He'll meet you there. And you need to come and get on your knees before the Lord during this song. Put the little kneeling bench up in case you're not dressed appropriately for being on your knees up here. And you can come over there on your knees. Stand if you're saying, I got work to do, God. I'm ready to do some work. Come and kneel if you're ready to beg God for his mercy and his power in your life. It is God who wills and works in you. The one who